LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hey, this is JD. You know, before we jump into Ask Me Anything for this week, if you're like me and you work at a church, you probably have questions about what the best way to keep track of your people and be connected and to keep track of your money. Blackboard Church Management Software is the only church software that I know of that is backed by the world's leading cloud software company. It seamlessly connects your church to your ministry. It puts it all in one platform. Uh, Blackball Church Management connects your staff and your congregation. It helps facilitate those deeper relationships that make for effective ministry. Uh, look, we know that you think software, but we also know that keeping up with people and being aware of what's happening uh, is something that every responsible pastor wants to do. So if you are interested in this and you want to see more, go to blackball.com. And now I hope you enjoy Ask Me Anything. everybody, welcome to Ask Me Anything. Uh, I am Matt Love. I'm here with pastor, author, and amateur CrossFitter J.D. Greer. Um, J.D., uh, you, you must do have the... seen how I scored on my last I, CrossFit. Thing I know. To call I was me asking you earlier if you did the open this year. So, J.D., this is why this is how you stay so fit. You know, fittest pastor in the SBC. I, I see that you're saying this. We, we won't have video on this one. So exactly. Not not going to be as much judgment. But um, anyway, so J.D., I, I think this is a good question. We've actually been talking about this as a church at Summit recently. The question today is, can Christians be rich and live wealthy lifestyles? Well, I noticed you you asked that with your just unbelievably stylish clothes that you have on, this hat. I have no idea how much that hat costs, but Am it looks I like— Am I too wealthy, J.D.? Tell are me. you too wealthy? Short answer, yeah. Right, well, you know, the short answer is, uh, can Christians be rich and can they live wealthy lifestyles? I think you have to answer to that on one level, yes. Uh, I mean, people like Abraham, uh, you know, Job at the beginning and the end of his life— uh, God, you know, he was rich, and God made him even richer at the end. Uh, King David, not to mention Solomon, you know, even Randy Alcorn points out. You know, he wrote the book Treasure Principle. He points out that some of Jesus's earthly disciples were people of substantial means. We know that three um, women in particular um, funded Jesus. There was Mary, there was Joanna, who was uh, the manager of, of, of Herod's household. You had Susanna. Uh, we know that some of the earliest Christians in Acts had a lot of—in fact, they had houses so big that they could have early church meetings in those houses. Um, Paul often addressed rich people in his letters, and his message was not just, hey, you know, you you, you disgusting, materialistic person, get rid of all your yourself and be poor. He he, he told them to steward it well, and he told them to be generous with it. So I, I think if you're looking for a very simple answer, the answer has to be has to be yes. That's really interesting because I think people, I mean, I would naturally think, you know, maybe the answer would be no. You know, there's so much about, you know, giving and generosity. So unpack, like, what does that actually then look like? Well, I feel like there's two extremes that Christians tend to gravitate toward when it comes to the question of wealth. Extreme number one is going to be where you basically pay God 10%, and then after that, you're off the hook. It's like a tax. Give God your your ten percent tax, and then it doesn't matter how much is on the other side. That's that's His reward to you. You're good and you to go. Just, just Congratulations! Yeah. You you met the standard. You met the standard, and that, and that, and I've had people literally tell me that I paid my ten percent. I'm done. On the other end of the extreme are those who feel a constant like anxiety over what they have because whatever you're given, Matt, you can always be giving more. And there's been some famous examples of this in history. Uh, John Wesley. Uh, you know the 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 early American um, evangelist, part of the the Great Awakening. He he, he would he would lament the the pictures that were on his wall because he's like, I don't need those to live. And 
And uh, man, imagine how many poor poor people could have been fed to this. He called the pictures on his wall the blood of the poor. Wow. It's almost like that that um, Schindler's List. I know it's kind of a dated movie. Yeah, but, I know what you're talking about. But basically, you, know, you got the guy Schindler who at the end is you know starts looking at his watch and he's like, how many Jews could this have freed? And so you start thinking about that all the time, like. You know, what, what, should I take a hot shower? I mean, I could, I could take a cold shower and save the money. And how many, and how many orphans could that? How, how, how many missionaries could that sponsor? Yeah, I think those two extremes are really helpful because it even reminds me of I think that's how I and and I think people like respond to when we talk about generosity. It kind of you comes out one of those either like, hey, I'm I'm doing the best I can, I'm doing what God told me to do, or it's like you feel really guilty, like, oh my gosh, you're right, I'm right. like not doing enough. I need to do so much more. And both of those, while at some level rooted in something that I think we know might be true about the Bible, but they're, right. they're both kind of extremes that are not very healthy. Right. So, you feel like my role as a pastor is to stand up, and basically my message is supposed to be, whatever you're giving, it's not enough. You should give more, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly, whatever you yeah. feel guilty about. <laughs> the problem with that line of thinking, even though that last one is inspiring, and I actually think if I had to choose between those two extremes, I'd want to gravitate more toward the, the latter. But the problem with that is that, uh, well, first of all, it's not biblical, and I'm going to try to show you that in a minute. But the, the other problem is, I don't. where does it end? You know, I mean, uh, John Calvin, uh, 500 years ago, he said, you know, he said, if you think like this, he said, there literally is no end to it. He said, you know, if you're like, well, I'm not going to drink expensive wine, only to drink cheap wine or fruit juice for the Baptist. He, he said, he said, well, then you, you think, well, maybe I should just drink water. Or maybe I, it's not filter water. Maybe it's just tap water I should drink. Like, how far do you go down that? He said, there's no end. The other thing is, it's just not the way the Bible talks about money. Um, here's something that I found helpful for me personally. I, I call it a matrix. I call it my generosity matrix. Okay. Which basically, you think of a matrix, not in the Keanu Reeves, you know, sense. I was hoping we were you were hoping that's direction. right. Take the blue pill, Matt. Uh, no, the think of a matrix like like a, a set of principles that the Bible puts out there that you're supposed to hold in tension. Meaning they're they 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 pull you different directions, and you've got to kind of be living in the tension of all of them at once. Okay. Um. He, he, here they are. I'll try to not spend a lot of time in each of them, but the first one is simply that Jesus's generosity is a model to us of our own. You know, Jesus did not give ten percent of his blood; he gave all of it, and he you know he poured himself out. Paul is going to point back to Jesus and say, "Think about what he did for you, and do that for others," because in a very real sense, where where I would be without Jesus is where other people in the world are without. Without me, without my sacrifices, they can't hear the gospel. Like Luther said, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if nobody ever heard about it. And that is, I'm supposed to be a follower of Christ who offers his life for others the way Jesus offered for me. Now, again, if that's the only thing you believe about generosity, you're going to constantly feel guilty because— You're going to be like, well, Jesus gave everything. I have to, I have to give everything. Right, yeah. right. If you're still alive and at breath, you haven't given as much as Jesus yet. All right, so that's number one. Here's the second one. God gives us richly all things to enjoy. You know, First Timothy six. Uh, that's a direct quote from Paul, and and it's it's built on this idea that God is a God of abundance, um, and that's a, a really important principle here. Is that we don't live in a world of scarcity; we live in a world of abundance. And just because I'm using something doesn't mean that it's taking away from something somewhere else. Uh, if you have a scarcity mindset, it means whatever I'm using, somebody else can't have. But if you have an abundance mindset, it means that God. God is God created the world in such abundant ways that there's more than enough to take care of the needs that are out there. In the Garden of Eden, I love pointing this one out, that God, you know, it wasn't like a little tiny postage stamp size garden. He created it the size of Yellowstone, if you look at the different borders, you know, for two people. They're living in this. Um, he, t- he tells the, you know, uh, Jesus tells his followers in Matthew 6, he's like, think about how lavishly God um, takes care of the birds and the flowers, and he cares that much more for you. I tend to think of it like this. Imagine if Jesus showed up and he handed you a $100 bill and he said, hey, I want you to go and I want you to to do some things with this. I want you to honor me with this. 
Um, hey, you know, don't worry about it. I've got plenty. I can make more for all my needs in my kingdom. Um, what would you do with that hundred dollars? Well, I would still say you should probably be generous with it, but you could also, if you knew that he was trying to bless you as his child, you know, there might be some things that you would use to bless your family, take your wife out. Um, you don't, we don't approach this with a mindset of scarcity. We say, well, God, he blesses the Lord. He, he gives it richly and abundantly. And, and we can, we can enjoy that without feeling guilty. Now, again, Matt, if that's the only thing that you yeah. believe about generosity, that would lead to all kinds of excess. Yeah, on the one hand, if Je- on that first point, Jesus kind of gave everything I've got to do. I've got to, until I'm right. dead, from right. having given everything, I haven't gone enough. On this one, it's like, oh, God wants me to enjoy stuff, so I'm going to spend it all, and right. you know, I'm going to go to the Nike store and have a great day. You right, know? and they're both true. I mean, I would say the gospel, the first one is even more important, but they're both true, and you don't want to ignore, you don't want to hold certain parts of the Bible hostage to other parts. So here's the third one. God gives excess to some to share with others. Uh, you know, it's, Paul uses this in Second Corinthians nine with the story of the manna, and you know, the story of the manna is where you know God drops basically think Krispy Kreme donuts with a hot now sign on every day, and he's like, eat as much as you want, right? I, I want to bless you with it, but it's going to go bad tonight. So if you if you gathered too much in your house, what you do you do with it? Well, naturally, you should share it, especially if they're your next door neighbor, because you, you literally can't hold on to it for the next day. And Paul said that's that's how you should think about God's provision now. So God gives excess to you. And he puts needs in front of you, and you're supposed to use the excess you have to meet the needs that are, are present in front of you, whether that's the needs of a, a, of a poor person that you know about or whether that's the needs of the church. You know, th- there needs to be ministry that you're, you're, you're propelling now and not just saying, well, I'll, I'll save it all to the end and give it later. It's like God puts needs in front of you in, in real time so that you can, can bless, you know, through that. And that's, that's what Paul says. Number four, um, number four, it can be wise to build wealth, to invest um, there's, uh, you know, I jotted down just a few, a few verses there. The crown of the wise is their wealth. Proverbs fourteen twenty four. Um, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits for your produce, and and God will make your vats burst with new wines, and you'll be filled with plenty. He even tells us in Proverbs six to consider the ant who stockpiles for later, you know, and, and saves so that when the winter comes, he's, you know, he's got food to eat. Um, uh, Proverbs thirteen twenty two. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children which means a, a good man might not only bless his children with an inheritance, but his children's children, right? So there's clearly a value of, of saving. Now, again, does that sound contradictory to number three? Yeah. Right? It kind of does, but they're both in the Bible. Yeah. And that's the point is that you're, you're learning to live in this matrix. So it's, it can be wise to build wealth, but at the same time, I've, I'm supposed to be meeting the needs that are in front of me, right? So number five, treasures in heaven are better than treasures on earth. I need to be thinking primarily through the lens of eternity and saying, I don't want to just be piling treasures up here, you know, when, when you begin to realize that Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth, store them in heaven. That means the question is not how much do I have to give away, but how much do I want to go ahead and transfer into eternity, right? So that's a biblical principle. Number six, you need to look to God, not money as your source of security and significance. That, you know, when it comes to what I spend and what I save, I'm, I'm doing both of those things, but I shouldn't look to money to give me enjoyment in life or significance, nor should I look at it as my primary security. The, the, the analogy that Jesus used, I just referred to the birds and the, the wildflowers and to people who, who look at money as security, he says, think about the birds. They don't save a lot and they don't save any and God makes them secure. And to those who think about money being significance or beauty or enjoyment, he says, consider the wildflowers. And what that shows you is not that you and I are never supposed to spend money and like just you know go around poor naked all the time and it's not saying that we never save money it's showing us that the primary source of those things for us ought to be god and when that happens i can set a limit to my spending and a limit to my saving and give the excess away 
So to a wealthy person, it's like, yeah, God wants you to save some, he wants you to enjoy it, but are your primary treasures on earth or are they in heaven? Is What, what role is, does God play in your life? Is, is your main source of significance and your main source of security, is it money or is it God? Yeah, right? and, and I think that's I think that's something you've talked about uh, a lot before here that I, it's really been helpful for me because I think that's where I especially have like security. That's where I tend to see money. But like even out through all of these like first five things, that that one's kind of like where's your heart in that, right? Like right. so, the Bible tells us to save and invest. But am I doing that because I'm saying I'm in control of my life and I've got to do this in order to be secure? Is my heart there, or how does that? So like checking your heart as you kind of right. do all these other things through that lens of. What is money for me? Am I spending money on myself to right. to bless myself or to bless something, or am I just kind of like making it, doing it for my own significance? Yeah, in Matthew know? six, where Jesus really impacts this, the question he drives at is, what comes first? There's nobody that doesn't spend any money on their on, on their clothes, right? <laughs> you know, so Jesus is not saying be like the wildflowers and literally walk around naked and you'll be pretty. <laughs> There's nobody that like the birds doesn't save anything for the future. So Jesus is not saying don't save anything. What he's saying is, what is first in your life? Hmm. And and what that means, and I'm drawing here from a, a great book by two Harvard um, accountants, uh, in the biz- Harvard business graduates. They wrote a book called God and Money. And they said, what that means is that is that there should be a limit to my spending and a limit to my saving. And I should always be able to look at what I do with my money and say the kingdom of God is first. That the best of and the main the main investment that I'm making is not in my present enjoyment or my future security. The main investment is the kingdom of God. So I'm going to live at a certain lifestyle. I know a lot of wealthy people, for example, that have said, you know, hey, we we capped our lifestyle at at 120,000, say, or you know, like that, and gave the rest beyond that away. Or we, you know, we set a, a maximum savings thing. We, you know, whatever it was, and we said beyond that, we're going to give it all away. And I think that's, that's a great approach. Last one I'll mention this real quick is you got to follow the Holy Spirit. Um, throughout the book of Acts, what you see is the Holy Spirit is showing people specifically what he wants them to give. This has been one of the most liberating things for me. It, it, it came from a guy named Larry Osborne, a pastor mentor out in California. He said, he said, hey, not everything that comes from heaven has your name on it. Something does, and you need to radically sacrifice for that, but not everything does. And so you've got to be sensitive when the Holy Spirit is telling you, make the sacrifice do this. And when you follow the Holy Spirit, when you do that through the grid of these other, you know, these other principles in the matrix, I think you'll, you'll at least begin to come a lot closer to fulfilling the will of God for your money. That's really good. So use this matrix to hold these things in tension and, and, and kind of operate the way the Bible tells us to. And then ultimately, as we do that, just try to follow the Holy Spirit as he That's kind right. of leads. And, and by the way, if you'd like it, you know, we went through kind of quick and there yeah. were seven, we're trying to cram them into a short time. Um, if you go to, to jdgreer.com and just type in generosity matrix, some version of these will come up. Awesome. Um, and it's also a chapter in my book, Gospel, about having a balanced approach toward toward money and generosity. Awesome. Well, that's a great reminder because if you enjoyed this and you want more information or more resources from JD, go to jdgreer.com and you can find all that kind of stuff. And also, I just want to remind you that you should check out the One Thing podcast with Scott Sanders and Derek Hanna. It's a part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network family, and they've been covering uh, really interesting and helpful topics like handing off ministries and knowing when to say goodbye and breaking through growth barriers. So if that seems like something you would want to listen to, just look up the one thing on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today. And we hope you'll join us next time on Ask Me Anything.